Okay, uh, Mark chapter 6, 30 to 56. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. Then because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, come uh, with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. So they went away by themselves in a boat to a solitary place. But many who saw them leaving recognized them and ran out on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. By this time, it was late in the day, so his disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said, and it is already very late. Send the people away so they can go to the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered, you give them something to eat. They said to him, that would take more than half a year's wages. Are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to, give it to, them to eat? How many loaves do you have, he asked. Go and see. When they found out, he said, five and two fish. Then Jesus directed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to his disciples to distribute to the people. He also divided two fish among them all. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up twelve baskets full of broken pieces of bread and fish. The number of men who had eaten was 5,000. Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida. While he dismissed the crowd, after leaving them he went up on the mountainside to pray. Later that night the boat was in the middle of the lake and, and he was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn he went down to them walking on the lake. He was about to pass them, but when he saw them walking on the lake, they thought it was a ghost. They cried out because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them and the wind died down. They were completely amazed, for they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they landed at and Gennaret and anchored there. As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. They ran throughout the whole region and carried the sick on mats wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went into the villages, the towns, or countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch him, even to the edge of his cloak, and all that touched were healed. Amen. Good morning, everyone. Fantastic to see you this morning, and uh, we're going to carry on in Mark, so let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Our Lord, these stories might be very familiar to us. Jesus was renowned for his miracles, for walking on water, for feeding multitudes of people, but Lord, don't let us sit with an idea that we already know this. Lord, give us soft hearts that are teachable this morning. Lord, humble us and grow us by your word uh, for the sake of, of our maturity and, and your kingdom coming and growing among us. 
We pray this boldly in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you ever get into the Bible and you kind of go, I'm a bit confused, and you kind of go, why wasn't the Bible just written in dot points? Who likes dot points? Like lists of things, you can have a point and then you can expand on it and things like that. When I was in high school, I loved music, uh, but in the music course, when you do the exam, that's how you could write your answers for the exam. You didn't need to use full sentences, you didn't need to use punctuation, you could just write dot points and score top marks. It was awesome. I loved it. So simple. Why isn't the Bible like that? Why isn't the Bible nice and simple like that? I mean, don't we just need to know God created it, sin stuffed it up, God promised to fix it, there was something about an exodus, something about Israel, some kings, list them out for us. I mean, there are lists in the Bible, aren't there? There was the exile, then Jesus. Well, what do we need to know about him? He's God's son, Messiah, went on the cross, came back to life, sent the Holy Spirit, go spread the gospel. That's easy, isn't it? It'd be a lot shorter too. Don't need thousands of pages to write that out. Mark kind of starts like that. Mark 1.1, 1, 1, he writes a little list of who Jesus was. This is the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. But that's as far as he goes with his list. After that, it's story after story, but they're stories that want to show us this truth, that want to define this truth for us. Is Jesus really God's son? Is he really God? I mean, that's easy to say. But in this reading, Mark wants to show us. He wants to show us that that's true. He does it by showing for the disciples that just saying that wasn't enough. We even learn in this story, for them to stand there with basketfuls of bread after Jesus has multiplied, it wasn't enough. Even after Jesus walks on water, it wasn't quite enough. But all of these things eventually form part of them realising it. Just let's get our bearings. In the passage just before this, Mark's done his sandwich thing where he's shown Jesus sending the disciples on mission and at the start of our reading they've come back. And right in the middle of that he showed the reality of how hard and sinful hearts are with the story of John the Baptist and King Herod. And so here we are, the disciples are all back together and they're hungry and they're keen to kind of debrief. They want to go, you know, sit down with Jesus have a good feed and talk about everything that's happened. It's pretty natural, isn't it? You might do that if you've been like out doing something with people. Maybe you've been on a bushwalk or a bike ride or something. What do you want to do? You want to go and sit down, maybe at a cafe or a restaurant, have a meal together and talk about all the things that you saw. It's kind of where we're at with these, with these guys. But it doesn't happen. It can't happen. And the reason it can't happen is because... There's all these crowds again. The crowds are crowding them out. And Jesus goes, we need to do this. Let's get somewhere quiet. And even though they try to, in verse 32, we actually see that the crowds beat them to where Jesus says they're going. Now, it might not be that obvious here, but it's likely that that, that, that a big part of the draw at this point for the crowds was that whole idea that comes up in the Gospels that Jesus coming as the Messiah 
was him coming as the military Messiah, the one that was going to come and kick Roman butt and take back Jerusalem, for um, take back control of Israel and become that mighty nation again. John's account gives us a little bit of that detail and it makes sense of a few of the other parts of this passage. So just keep that in mind as we go through this. Now when this crowd arrives, the first thing that we read about Jesus is that he looks at the crowd and it says he's moved in his heart. He's moved in his heart. See, the crowds often get in the way as Mark tells us about them. But that's not to say just because they're in the way, that Jesus lacks care for them, that he lacks compassion on them. Look at verse 34 with me. When Jesus landed, he saw a large crowd. He had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. See, Jesus has compassion. I've preached these verses from Matthew's account of this before. And the the words compassion... It's actually two words put together. Compassion is the word community and passion put together. And and we've got to remember that that passion is really at the heart a word that means suffering. We talk about the passion narrative, the passion of the Christ. It's when he he suffers, when he dies. So what what the definition of compassion actually is, is, is it's to suffer in community or or to suffer alongside someone, to come alongside someone in their suffering. Jesus' compassion comes from recognising this about the people, the crowd. He recognises that they're lost, that they've come looking for something that's happening, but they're actually wandering aimlessly. And they're like sheep. Sheep that have no shepherd, no one caring for them, no boundaries. And the action that Jesus takes is really interesting. Look at verse 34 again. They were like sheep without a shepherd, so he began teaching them many things. See, fundamentally, their lostness, their wandering, it comes from wrong beliefs. See, the fall happened as the lies of the serpent were spoken from wrong belief. So Jesus, in his compassion, of course, is going to teach. To teach his message. The call to repent and believe, that is to show compassion. Now he's going to feed them. He's not going to ignore their physical needs, sure. But that doesn't even come up until later in the day when they've been hanging around listening to him all day. The compassion is never less than speaking the truth in love. If that's what compassion is from the Bible, how do you go with compassion? Do you find yourself able to come alongside people and care for them? Can you do that without, without conditions on it? And do you realise that, that speaking the gospel, speaking some aspect of the gospel, sharing the hope and love of Jesus, that that is acting in compassion? It should come out of compassion. So, we see the crowd here, and they stay all day, and they were completely unprepared for this. They were like shepherdless sheep, Jesus says, 
But it's also possible that they thought that when they were turning up, they'd be heading off to take on the city and that they'd be resourced. So they haven't really understood. They haven't really grasped who Jesus is. But they're not alone because the disciples haven't either. Look at verse 35 and verse 36. By this time it was late in the day, so the disciples came to him. This is a remote place, they said. It's already very late. Jesus Send the people away so that they can go to the surrounding countryside and buy themselves something to eat. Now remember, this is the crowd that have interrupted breakfast with Jesus for the disciples. They could be getting a bit hangry at this point. I don't know if you get hangry, but there's definitely hangry people in my household sometimes. Maybe they're just kind of going, Jesus, get rid of them. We're hungry. We can't feed them. Come on now. But really... They don't have at this point the same compassion that Jesus has. So he challenges them about it. Look at verse 37. He answered, you give them something to eat. You think this is a problem? You go and deal with it. You feed them. Don't come to me. They just laugh back at Jesus, don't they? I mean, at the end, we learn that there was 5,000 men there, 5,000 hungry blokes. Even if you can find a good lunch special somewhere that's 10 bucks a head, that's $50,000. Or they say half a year's wages. It's ludicrous, isn't it? How are we going to feed them, Jesus? They gather what they have. And they said, look, all we've got is just five bits of bread. But in Jesus' hands, what happens? In the hands of the compassionate, loving Jesus, what happens? In the hands of the one who is God's son, what happens? Everybody is fed. It's awesome, isn't it? This miracle is like one that you can't, you can't look at and not be blown away by each time you think about all the implications of what's going on there. I want us to notice three things about what, what else is said here. Notice that when the food's ready which is instantly, because Jesus prepared it, he gets the crowd to sit down in fifties and hundreds. Now that's kind of odd, isn't it? Why would you get them to sit down in fifties and hundreds? But those are the types of numbers that the regiments of an army would sit in or would would gather in. If that's what they were coming to look for, to be the army that that, would be there for the military messiah, well, Jesus kind of subverts that, doesn't he? He takes them... And instead of giving them a weapon, he gives them a bit of bread. He feeds them. Who Jesus is and what he's here to do is put out there so clearly. It's not what they think. Jesus, in verse 39, also, this is the second thing to notice, he gets them to sit on green grass. Now, that's an odd thing, isn't it? Why would he get them? Why does it matter what color the grass is that they sit on? Who knows the 23rd Psalm off the top of their head? Can someone say it? He makes me to lie down in. They were like sheep without a shepherd. Well, he wants them to go and sit in green grass because he's that good shepherd. This is the shepherd. This is the Lord. This is the kind of Lord and Messiah that Jesus is. This is who he is. Jesus, this is the third thing to notice. He has the disciples collect the leftovers. How many baskets of leftovers are there? Who said it? Twelve. There's twelve. How many disciples are there? 
you know, I think we're not reading into it to assume that each disciple is standing there looking with the answer to their question, you give them something to eat or that direction, looking at it. It's put in their face by Jesus. It's one each. And Jesus is so gently correcting their understanding of who he is. They came to Jesus. Oh, Jesus, you've got to send them away. We could not possibly feed them. And yet, with their big problem, stands answered as they hold this basket of bread. Now, there's heaps of application for each of those points, but the big one first. Jesus' compassion means his gracious dealing with people who have hard and sinful hearts. The expectations of the crowds, the expectations of the disciples, they're they're corrected. But how gracious is Jesus as he does it? How gentle with them is he? In their own ways, their hearts are sinful. What they believe, seen in how they act, shows that they don't really fully know God yet they have followed they have responded to his call and his grace is upon them can you can you testify as a believer to that basketful situation have you prayed before and prayed out of anxiety and prayed out of worry and been left holding a metaphorical basketful of bread where God has both answered your prayer and demonstrated his grace as he showed up how little faith you had actually when you were praying. If you can testify to that, at morning tea, tell someone. Tell someone your account of that gracious kind of treatment from Jesus. Send me an email and let me know about it. I'd love to be encouraged by it because I can testify to it. I mean, he invites us to pray. It's not our, our, our small and weak faith that we time to time have that the disciples had here. Jesus is not critical of it. He's so gracious. He's so, so gracious. So, so let's go on. Now with a basket full of bread each, the promise for them, they're not going to get hungry again. They're not going to be in the same situation again, okay, like they were hangry before. Now they've got this basket full of bread. Jesus sends them out ahead of him into the town of Bethsaida. And then Jesus retreats as he often would to pray in verse 46. Now by verse 47, it's later in the night. And I'm not sure what the plan was for getting to Bethsaida where the disciples were going. But Jesus is on the shore. And the disciples are in the middle of the lake. And it's and it's somewhere between 3 o'clock and 6 o'clock in the morning. Now, in chapter 4, they were in a big storm. And they learned about faith. But this time, it's not so bad. Okay? Jesus, but, but they've also got to remember that Jesus isn't with them. Look at verse 48 with me now. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. So they're not in a storm, but it's windy. It's not very good conditions, and they're having to work pretty hard. And what happens? Jesus walks out to them. Now, it's a big what the moment. Like, what is that? Just walk out on the water. Walking on water is a pretty 
big deal. It's possibly the clearest demonstration so far in the book of Mark that Jesus is God. That's the full power of the Creator. Just have a couple of look at these Old Testament verses. The first one is in Job 9.8 that gives a bit of a, a background. Speaking of God, He alone stretches out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. It's a metaphor, but it's a picture of God. Isaiah 43.16 says, This is what the Lord says, He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters. Think about Genesis chapter 1, verse 12. The Spirit of God hovered on water. It hovered over the water. This, to have Jesus walk on water is a massive claim to show that he is God. But Jesus hasn't gone, dot point seven, I am the creator. Example A, I can walk on water. It's not the dot point Bible that, you know, sometimes I wish I had. No, this is this is comes out as Jesus involves himself in the life of his disciples. He's going to them because he's seen them straining. He's seen them straining. He wasn't coming out to grab an oar. He wasn't even coming out to rebuke the sea. He's walking on the water. He's reminding them that I am God and I'm with you. He was actually seemingly about to past them just think the heavy waves the the strong wind that was troubling their boat ride was not big enough to stop jesus walking on it he didn't need like some really clear flat glassy water for him to be able to do it just like five thousand hungry mouths were there and there was only five loaves Just like that wasn't too small for Jesus to feed. The heavy sea is not too big for Jesus to walk on. He's the son of God. Now they think he's a ghost. They kind of like can't put this together in their head. They go to that explanation and they're freaking out because of it. Look at verse 50. I'm going to find my spot. Immediately... uh, Because they all saw him, they were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. So what's he do? He gets in the boat and the wind dies down and they are amazed. They are amazed. And then 52, this is what he says. Oh, sorry, they're amazed, Mark tells us. And then Mark tells us this in verse 52. For they had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. What Mark is saying here, he's actually giving some commentary. That although they held the bread that Jesus multiplied, they had hard hearts still at this point. This is Mark looking back. This is Mark putting it all together as he writes his gospel. See, Jesus had shown them the grace to hold that bread after they'd fussed about the crowd. He'd showed them the grace to reveal more of who he truly is to them. He's shown them the grace to get in the boat with them. Jesus' compassion means his grace. And it's mind-blowing. For me personally... 
It's the thing that I find most compelling about Jesus and his gospel. That it's it's his grace. That it's grace upon grace. This is Mark recounting what the disciples, what mainly Peter would remember of Jesus and his ministry. That they can say this, that, that as this happened, we know our hearts were hard. And they were. And they had hard hearts and Jesus got in the boat with them. They had hard hearts. He walked out and got in the boat with these hard-hearted men who'd held the loaves of bread. Just think, does this mirror anything in your own life? Where in a moment or season you've metaphorically held a basket full of bread where God's answer has been disproportionately abundant compared with your faith and where his rebuke has been gentle and been a blessing to you. And then you, in the next season, have still found yourself somewhat hard-hearted. See, Jesus comes to each of us again and again with his grace. It's amazing and more present in each of our lives than any of us realize. And Jesus gets on our boat. What a metaphor. What a metaphor for what it is to accept his call on our life. In this moment, Jesus says to these guys, it is I. You know me. You know me, guys. When you had faith, when you and I began believing, or when you and I were brought up into faith in Jesus, you and I recognized this. It was wasn't it likely sorry, it's likely that that wasn't without doubt or fears, but what an amazing call it is on our life. It is I, you know me. Don't be afraid. See, Mark tells us this with the full picture, the full picture of the cross and the resurrection, where the fullness of this truth can be realized, where the depths of Jesus' grace can make sense to us, where our hearts soften in light of such compassion and grace. But Mark can recall that they had heart hearts. But he also knows that their hearts are no longer hard. They went on as Jesus was gracious and patient with them. They went on. So we've got to ask, is our heart, are our hearts in some way hard at the moment? If you can recognize in yourself a hardness of heart, turn it over to Jesus. A faith that is lacking in some way. Jesus says, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. I've had a particularly testing month. For all the upheaval of 2020, the last month for me personally has been far harder Tara just the other day said, couldn't we just go back to the lockdown? That was fun. Who would have thought? There's been times when I know that I've been straining the oars. But the times where I've realised that Jesus walks on the water, where he fills that basket with bread, it's shown me that I have a Lord Jesus who is a friend. He says to me, he says to us, it is I. In his grace we have met him. We know him. We know that 
that the Jesus that saves you is the one who multiplies bread, who walks on the water, who gets in the boat. He makes us to lie down in his green pastures. He restores us. His grace is that abundant. So let those words echo in our hearts. Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Let's pray. Let's take a moment in your own prayer. Let God search your heart. The doubt or the fear or the confusion or a hardness. Lord, the witness of these stories, of these miracles, of these examples, that that Jesus truly is your son, that he is truly God among us. Lord, let that truth resonate so deeply in each of our hearts that we would trust him. And Lord, thank you that to look at this, we can see that even bigger than the spectacle of walking on water and multiplying all that food, that we see the heart of Jesus, his compassion, and how that expresses in how he graciously treats those that are following him. And Lord, we believe that that is how in his grace he treats us. And we know that we stand before you undeserving of such grace, but that in it we know him. So, Father, build us up in our knowing him this morning. Lord, build us up. Lord, to know that we are dependent fully on the grace shown to us in our Lord Jesus. But, Lord, that that we are fully in his grace. And because of that, we can go on knowing that we can have courage and that we don't need to fear because it's him. It's him that's with us. Lord, I thank you that we can pray such a bold prayer in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.